0: Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Thank you. Just like that, we're live. I'm stoked. Let's do this. Let's do this. So my guest today is awesome. We, we were having fun talking. We almost didn't hit record because we were just talking too much about baseball and football. And I was like, we got to get into it. We got to hit record. So he is a sales and marketing strategist. He's actually been doing this revenue generation for over 20 years and he doesn't look a day over 30.
1: So I, don't, I, don't I don't know, know about that.
0: <laughs> but he's also a convert from the sales world. So he was in the sales side and then Got into the marketing side and then just realized that was a passion. And he's been um VP of marketing, he's been CMO, he's been senior leader in the marketing world for a long time now, speaker, thought leader, currently the chief marketing and sales officer at Agile Frameworks. Alan Littman, how are you, sir?
1: Hey Casey, great to great to spend some more time with you.
0: Yeah, looking no, forward to fun. this. And
1: you're uh, you're a Patriots fan, so it should be easy for me to to give you some uh, grief along the way.
0: All right. Well, you know, you know, all I do is win, no matter what.
1: Yeah, all I do is win. I, do well, I got three win. Super Bowls on my team, but uh, we won't go there. Right, right, right.
0: Well, I, I really don't want Tom to, uh, to uh, retire until we've got ten rings. That's what I want. I want ten.
1: That's six, that's
0: seven, eight, nine. I need ten. So yeah, he's got that number in mind as well. I don't know.
1: I think he's going to get there. He's unbelievable.
0: Probably will. Probably will. So. Before we dive into football and never come back, and this turns into a football show, which it could. Um, this is our sales and marketing leadership series. So we're going to be smashing myths. We're going to be talking about different things that are right, are wrong. You've got that great approach. You, you've seen the sales side. You, you've managed you manage it now. And you manage that marketing side and, and lead from both of those realms. So I want to pass you this. It's really heavy. It's, it's Thor's hammer. So go ahead and <laughs> take that. And, uh, there you go. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, yeah, you can pick <laughs> it up. No problem. Uh, take that smash for me. Some kind of yep. bogus marketing strategy, some myth that you just drives you bonkers and you want to set the record straight.
1: All right. Can I slam it now?
0: Yeah, you can slam it now.
1: Bam! Bam. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Casey, I'm pretty passionate about this one myth, and I've been trying for years to solve for it. And the technology is getting better and better to allow us to do it. So I'm a big believer in low-touch or no-touch CRM. And what I mean by that is no longer relying on sales reps or no longer needing sales reps to log into a CRM. They don't want to do it. They don't like even the thought of following that kind of process administrative work gets in their way. And I'm in agreement because I don't get what I need from them. So we do everything we can to automate processes that will sync the data that we want into the CRM. So the CRM is for us is really no longer a place where sales reps spend their time. It's a place where we store data and uh, only validated data. So that's my big myth. The big myth is, let's get rid of sales reps having to log into CRM. Plus it's expensive.
0: That seems like heresy. (laughs) (laughs) Have you not been burned at the stake for uttering such things?
1: You know, um, when I first started talking about it, people thought I was crazy. But more and more, um, we're seeing other companies think similarly they don't know how to make the change but um i do some consulting work for companies as well in the manufacturing and distribution space okay and they've had a lot of instances where they've tried crm and crm has failed right and these are people these are companies that have hundreds of sales reps right so can you imagine 200 sales licenses of salesforce and getting sales reps to put in data that the marketing team can rely on and the oh. sales team. That's not very good.
0: It's true. That's so why it's an expensive. like inside view and all these other guys that Ex- swoop in and fill us with data.
1: Exactly. But, um, it's the activity data that the, that the marketing folks need, right? It's hmm. when are you sending which kind of content to a particular prospect? How many times does it take you in order to, how many contacts? Or engaging uh, conversations or meetings, does it take for you to move stage, right? In an opportunity. And all of those things that we want data from our sales reps, we can't get it. But the technology's gotten a lot better. And um, the companies that I work with, including the company that I'm with, Agile Frameworks, um, we practice what we preach. And um, our sales reps have the ability to not log into Salesforce if they choose to not. Some have done it for years and they like that, right? That's how they run their day. But I would say 90% of our folks don't like having to go into Salesforce. They, we use the tools um, that's across our email um, and calendaring systems. We use um, Salesforce uh, Einstein, that product uh, that helps to automate the activities Uh, being sourced into CRM. And then, of course, we feed that to our predictive um, lead scoring system. So it helps us to determine what campaigns and what stage a particular prospect is in, whether it's a lead stage or it's a sales opportunity stage. And then we deliver content based on those. And we we use a concept called Smart Plays, which allows us to automate uh, which content Uh, should go out when and why. So there is the ability to get to low-touch CRM, meaning the sales reps can either enter their opportunity data and make a change to a stage or update something on their phone, or they can go into CRM. But we're trying to get to a point where the pipeline and opportunity stages aren't uh, being moved by sales reps they're actually being moved uh, by the data, right? By the predictive tools that are telling us exactly what stage something is in based on all kinds of different attributes, whether it's activity uh, data or it's, um, you know, calendar data, uh, whether or not there are other people in the organization uh, coming onto the website or devouring content, whether somebody passes an email to another associate inside the company and, you can rank uh, and score that by title um, and content. So we're we're busy trying to create this no-touch uh, capability. So smash that myth. Well, right. Stop it, sales reps. I, like
0: I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm mortified.
1: Uh, <laughs> right. You know. Well, if you're sending if you're a Salesforce.com rep, you're mortified, right? True. Because you just lost a lot, lost a lot. I, of I guess i I'm
0: a, I'm a partner. But, but at the same time, um, I just, I I guess I've always, you know, grown to, I mean, the old school rep didn't do any of the Salesforce CRM or didn't do any CRM, right? they were on notepads and, and you couldn't, their pipeline and understanding if they're going to close it this month or not was really hazy and projecting it. Um, And so it was like you were old school if you were not on CRM yet. So we were trying to get everyone onto CRM, but we're trying to get everyone on to CRM. And you're trying to get people off of CRM already. Um, it, I, your your reasons make sense. What do they actually, do they ever use it at all? Or are they keeping track? I mean, you got to have customer data. You got to, are you going to track your phone calls or any of that or none, none of that? Yeah, what, what yeah,
1: you, track like, your you phone track? calls. So, <clears throat> you know, um there's plenty of systems out there that will track phone calls, right? Right, um, true. You know, true so... Um,
0: I talked to one recently, Gong, gong.io.
1: Yeah, Gong, yeah. sure, yeah. In fact, uh, one of my, uh, my, my absolute best vendor in the marketplace, um, they use Gong. They use I Gong, know. right? So, so they're feeding the data that Gong provides them into their own predictive lead scoring and account-based marketing tool. Okay, and they're using that. Um, The hard—I'll tell you where we've run into a bit of a hard place um, that um, I think will eventually get solved by technology—is text. Mm. Is text right? So um, I know that uh, some of our most successful reps, uh, especially when uh, they're trying to either get a response or to confirm uh, something with a prospect or a, uh, or more importantly, an opportunity, um, they'll use text. And so the, for us, that is the one challenge that uh, we're gonna need to find technology that will help us solve that, okay. right? Because everybody has their own personal phones. Um, you know, you get into these companies that have hundreds of sales reps a lot of times, uh, the company will issue those phones, so then right. it's a little easier that way, right? Right.
0: Um,
1: but uh, a, a lot of the companies in our space, in it, like agile frameworks, uh, people we give them a stipend for their phone every month, so they're using their own right. personal phone. So that, that a texting, that's a challenge.
0: Like your, your sales team texts their oh their yeah prospects.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, uh, we have a VP of sales out east, and he. Um, Texts a ton with his um, with the folks that he's working with, especially the champion, right? A kind of buyers. Uh, um, well, so these are all senior executives.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so a little bit about agile frameworks. Yeah. We're we're a, we're a company that does something that everyone um, relies upon, but has no idea, for the most part, that uh, all of these things happen um before anyone even steps foot into a building okay. um so agile frameworks works works with engineering services firms got it and these firms go out and test soil and test concrete to ensure that the soil uh the compaction yeah um you know, the the ability to make sure that something, when you build a house or you build an office building, that it's not gonna sink. Um, and the concrete is tested um, throughout the the building process. So from the time they th- start to determine the mix all the way through until they finalize it, it all goes through this very lengthy and very specific Uh, testing process. And our system helps companies track all of that uh, information um, from the time that the technician gets scheduled to go out to a job site um, through taking samples from that job site and then uh, bringing it to the lab. And so that whole chain of custody uh, needs to be validated and and up to certain specifications that's determined by local and federal and and state Um,
0: you guys basically prevent the leaning tower pisa
1: yeah pretty much pretty much our 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 customers do
0: oh your customers do and you help them do that
1: Right. Our, our, we have a software system that does field data collection and reporting. So all of that process goes, is tracked through our system, including the results.
0: I was picturing you with a button on that had the leaning tower of Pisa with like a red (laughs) X through it. Like, nope, not on my watch.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So these
0: engineer executives get texts from your team and they're totally cool with it. They're not like, why are you texting my, my cell phone?
1: Well, usually what happens is, um, the champion or the, the person that we're working with yeah. who is helping. So one of the things that we see in our industry is there's, there's not a lot of maturity around buying software, or buying solutions. So there's not a traditional RFP that has requirements and a budget and, yeah. you know, a business case and uh, all of those things that are associated with things you would put into Salesforce, right? Right. What we see is none of that usually. And so what we do is we help companies to actually look at their business processes, determine where their inefficiencies are, and then that helps to drive the business case. And during that process is usually when we find the person or the rep will find the person who's, um, you know, got the ability to, uh, work with the senior management team if they're not part of it or if they're part of the senior management team to work with them on the the business case. Right. Okay. And identify where the inefficiencies are. So that's where the texting comes in. Right. They'll share phone numbers. Um, and our like I said, our VP of sales at EC, he'll what he'll do is he'll take a snapshot of his text and he'll send it to me in an email. Really? To say, hey, here's an update, right? So then what we do is um, there's a person on my team who handles a lot of our um, uh, data in terms of data governance and data validation. She'll actually put that into the system um, because it's something we can't capture today. Right. Now, I will say that um, Google... And I, I, don't, I don't have an iPhone, but I know that he does, so he would send it to me through email. But uh, Google has a messaging app, right, that you can literally yeah. sign on. And, um, and so uh, that's been helpful in terms of if I'm somewhere and I'm texting with, um, you know, a champion that maybe uh, I'm working with on pricing or things like that, um, I can snap take a snapshot of that and just paste it into the activities field. But the, the real goal is to find a technology that would allow us to capture those text and those text conversations like we do email activities and calendar activities right. um, based on specific phone numbers to go into the CRM
0: it it makes sense right cuz all that stuff if if tech can cover it why not have tech cover it do you, do they not even use, where do they take notes do they just recall in the top of their head where they're at with certain clients and leads and do they not have too many leads so it's more quality over quantity or what kind of setup do you have
1: yeah mo- most of the time um all of the what we ask for from the reps, and we try to keep it minimal, right? Because we let the systems help us determine right. really where is something, right? Um, but what what we do is we have a field that they can fill out on their phones or on their computer, wherever they like, um, or right inside Outlook that it upstate updates uh, the next steps, right? So yeah. they can, you know, what next steps feel, yeah, right? So they can next steps,
0: yep. right. Tell so people, tell people they're listening, the importance of yeah. next steps on the sales side.
1: Oh man, it's great. So, so we're in the process of uh, going through uh, our series B round. Oh, wow. And so we have to know what's going on in an opportunity at any given moment. And one of the things that <clears throat> um, I found in my role that I, didn't like doing, which was the weekly sales call. And -hmm. I know my reps hated doing it too. So uh, we use this next steps uh, field in Salesforce that allows for them to type what all is going on in that deal that's current. So when we pull up, when my CEO or I pull up a pipeline report and any given moment during the day, I can see what's the latest on this account, where are we at, right? So if they had a conversation through text, or if they had a conversation, you know, all they have to do is update that on their phone or on their computer, right, without having to log in. But the next step field is really the place that we go to get the latest information, right? Right. So, you know, that's where they don't have to log into Salesforce right? So they don't have to go through the login procedure. They don't have to go to the, find the opportunity and go to the field and fill it out and all of those things. All they have to do literally is essentially type up, uh, you know, a sentence, uh, a, a paragraph, whatever, whatever's necessary. Sure. Give us what's going on and where we're at.
0: Do you have a certain way Um, Do you have like a certain thing you like to see in the next steps? I've seen people have to have like a date in there Um, and it has to be, it has to be like an action, not like waiting to hear back from Jeff, you know?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that we are trying to do with the next steps is to get people to all think the same way. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, it's important for us to know um, what the next action item is, right? Who owns that next uh, next action item? Yep. What's the timing of that? And does that change the close date? Does that change uh, any, does that affect whether or not that deal based on its current close date is, does that have a material effect on the close date?
0: Got it. So you, all they have to do is fill that in.
1: That's it. That's Boy. it. And, and eventually, um, eventually we'll get to, uh, which is where some of the companies that I'm working with, uh, can actually do this better because they have more data than we do. Um, so they can use quoting data for instance. Um, and, uh, our partner when it comes to, um, predictive lead scoring can actually create the funnel yeah. based on data. And um, so for us, what what I wanna see happen is, I want the reps to still tell me what they think the percent uh, to close is, right? Based on where they're at in the sales cycle. But we want the system to generate what it thinks the percent to close is and what stage it's in. So then we can start to see where the accuracy is in terms of where the rep feels it is, that whole gut feel thing, versus the predictive lead scoring uh, tool, which okay. will tell us based on data and attributes and all of the other things that go into determining a predictive lead score.
0: Got it. Huh. How, you know, a naysayer may say, um, might say, or might say, Alan, you're letting a computer determine your opportunity <laughs> stage and your pipeline and... Is that the sales manager's job?
1: Right. You know, I, to me, the sales manager's job is if if we can get the predictive lead scoring right, which, you know, when I look at what we've been able to do with the dark funnel side in terms of driving pipeline and how reliable it is and has been in terms of, you know, where, what leads and companies should we be talking to? Um. I, I'm 100% convinced that that that's a better gut feel than what the the rep gives us, right? Because the rep has reasons why they may or may not want to move it to a certain stage, may or may not want to make a commit to a certain stage. Um, but the sales manager really should be spending his time helping get these deals across the finish line, and helping move deals along. Versus, you know, filling out a spreadsheet and preparing for the Monday meeting all week long, right? The Monday morning sales call. So, to me, a great sales manager is somebody who's proactive, and who's roll up his sleeves and helping to, you know, drive the business case home, helping to deliver value, differentiate uh, ourselves from the competition, versus being a spreadsheet jockey, so to speak.
0: Right. 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 That makes sense. Huh. huh, And it's working. And and, I mean, predictive seems kind of, I don't say new, it's not new, but I mean, Einstein's kind of getting into, into place. Are are you seeing success with those or is it still like the building time?
1: I think, you know, Einstein's really young, right? There's so much more Einstein could be doing. Um, uh, we're, we're actually participating in a beta, uh, with Einstein around attribution and things like that. So I think they're early on in trying to figure this out. The predictive lead scoring engine for us and the ABM um, and all the smart plays come from a company called Sixth Sense. And, you know, they're a leader in every magic quadrant and wave out there um, when it comes to their tools. And I, I can tell you firsthand that um, I, I've worked with other tools, but the results we're seeing from them are, um, ridiculously better than, than the other tools we were using. Uh, not, that, not that those other tools didn't provide value, because they did, but not to the same level. And, I, and one of the things that I, I think differentiates uh, the ability to use these tools successfully yep. is um, having a vendor that, number one, has a great set of data scientists and a great model. And then secondarily and probably most importantly, they have people who are dedicated to making sure that your model is continuously improving, that they're continuously working with you okay. on uh, getting the right kinds of data and feeding the right kinds of information into the model and then testing the accuracy of the results. Yeah, And I don't know a company that I've ever worked with that's better than that than six cents so so the problem with all the other vendors that come along when we're looking at different Martech tools is they have to live up to um, the kind of white glove customer service that we get from Six and I always tell people that we're we're not a very big company at Agile Frameworks, but they treat us like we're three m
0: Wow, Wow. So, like 3M,
1: oh, it's unbelievable. These they're just amazing, and what they've done to help us.
0: This, this um, turned into the sixth sense show, but yeah, a, I know. have you but met, met Latney?
1: Oh yeah. Well, no, I haven't met her in person. She's new, right? But I just uh, uh, I've had some emails with her, and um, I'm going to see her at uh, their event in December. So I'll meet oh, her for the first cool. time there. Yeah,
0: I, I can introduce you to her if you haven't already. Um, she, she was on the show as well. Um, oh, you're kidding! Yeah, and I had a blast learning from her about the dark web and yeah, you, know, when you don't have the data. What are you gonna do? And yeah, yeah. so yeah, but great to hear. Awesome. I mean, uh, awesome. I'm I'm sure at some point maybe Six Sense comes and clips that part of the show because <laughs> I mean you can't say anything better than that. You know, you're not even talking about your own company. You're talking about someone else, and to have a vendor get that kind of a a response is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, you know? I've just I've never had a vendor that's been like them, and um. You know we have lots of good vendors yeah um, you know there's lots of great companies out there so but um, we found that this is differentiating for us
0: if you were to pick that apart to try to do it for your own organization or for you know if I was what would you say what sticks out what are they doing or uh, what what are they doing right that makes you so you know enamored with the results
1: yeah you know, honestly, they're just constantly coming to us with information. They're constantly coming to us with ideas about where we might be able to improve the 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 model or they're innovating on their side and they're coming to us to make sure that we're taking advantage of, you know, some of the changes that they've made to their tools or to their models. And, um, you know, <clears throat> um, when we have something that's on top of mind they jump in you know so i had wow. a call with them yesterday and they literally jumped in and i got emails again this morning on the topic and they're truly trying to find innovative ways to help us solve some of these things that we think would be you know, greatly beneficial to our business um so, you know, when you when you get the the senior VP who is one of the brightest minds in, in you know out there when it comes to data. Yeah. And um you know, he's constantly looking over your shoulder and he flies in to sit down and 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 it's never like, you know, oh, okay, well, let me let me arrange this meeting around other meetings I have. If, if we're working on something and he says, you know, Alan, I think it'd be better if I, we just, let's work together and whiteboard this. Right. Boom, he comes out. There's no, you know, I've had other vendors where it's like, you know, I've asked them to come out and they're like, well, you know, um, it, it would have to be a couple of us. And, you know, there might be a charge with it or, you know, we'll have to look at schedules. It's never like that with them. It's like, okay, let's figure this out. I'm going to come to town. I think it would be better if we whiteboarded. Okay. So, you know, again, like I said, we're successful and my team is successful because of the tools and the vendors that help us, right? And I think what happens a lot of the times is companies will buy tools, but they don't put pressure back on the vendors to actually make sure that they're successful with them. We try and do that. We try and do that, you know, we're, we're a small team, right? But I'm a big believer in that no matter, uh, you know, how big your company is, marketing can still be lean.
0: Yeah.
1: You just have to build a budget and, and capabilities to uh, leverage the resources that you have. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, consulting firms, right? Companies that, um, are, Um, well Casey, I mean, I didn't know about your company until we started chatting, but it's the same thing. It's, um, using consulting firms who have experts who are working with other customers who can bring a different point of view. But the other thing is I want the people that work on my team to wake up every morning wanting to help drive revenue for the company. And if they have a meeting that has to do with something that isn't going to drive revenue, then they have to think how important is that meeting? Is it right. a priority, right? And so one of the one of the things that um, I'm always saying, go back to the vendor, go back to um, the consultant, let them h- help us with this. Don't spend time doing that. That's not a good use of your time. Right. Um, and oh, by the way, we get a lot of really good ideas from working with the consultants because they'll say to us, we were, we may be thinking about putting in a workflow that's one way and they may go, actually, you know what? I saw this at another place. Or what about X, Y, or Z? And then they go off and they program it for us. You know, they build the workflows and the process and where the triggers are. And so our people are you know, my demand, head of demand gen, and my head of product marketing, I would say 90 to 95% of their time is focused on activities that help drive revenue for the company. And oh, by the way, that's how they're bonused. Yeah,
0: it makes sense. that's a great, that's the focus to have. And I think when you mention the consultants and it, it makes sense doing that because I think it's, it's wisdom, right? It's like experience, wisdom. If I can, I, I'll get there, but if I could skip some of those steps, And you can just let me know what you learned from a thousand other people. So I don't repeat those. I mean, trial and error works, but like, do I want to spend a year doing that? No, I want to grow. So let's do that now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. You know, I, I, uh, when I help uh, other marketers put together budgets uh, for the next fiscal year, and they're going to go buy new tools and they're going to do some of these things, I always say the one place that the CFO is going to want to cut is the consulting. And that's the one area that you don't want to cut, right? It's the same with when I hear companies who need to um, make cuts in their staff. Um, where's the first place they usually go?
0: Marketing, right?
1: You got it. Marketing. So, why would you cut off the piece of the business that is to help you drive new business, right? <laughs> or drive more in your existing business, right? but that's the first place they go, right? So it's the same when you work with a CFO on a budget. One of the first places they go that they think is frivolous spending is the consulting. And it's like, Mm. why would you do that? Because you're just gonna slow the machine down to a a slog. Right. Right, versus, hey, you know what? We don't have to bring in more resources. We can put our people on to revenue generating um, activities and it's a phone call away to get something done oh, quickly yeah. Yeah, versus yeah. our person doing it in-house and eventually the challenges on the administrative side get in the way of driving revenue so in when cfos want to cut that area that's that's when and um you know i usually coach other marketers on how to defend that
0: oh, that that makes sense uh, um is there anything specific you would tell people when they have these direct conversations and what they should, what, what, what do they say? What do they push? What do they leverage?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in workflows, okay. right. Yep. And, and showing, not telling. Okay. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of the times if somebody, if somebody is saying balking at maybe having a, a part odd in Salesforce administrator, right. It's like, Oh, well, You know, we've had, we have the system in place. It seems to be running well. Um, Why do you need a consultant? Right. And, and what I always suggest is bring in your, your workflows, Mm -hmm. right? Bring in your as is and to be workflows because those, that's how you explain to somebody, what is the work that needs to be done in order to make all this happen? And Oh, by the way, look what the output is from that, right? right? It all leads to a, a lead it all leads to sales right so um, it's it's less about defending that I need uh, an extra um, I need administrative dollars right it's more about I need I need an execution engine and here's why right. so the other thing consultants do really well um, if you find the right ones is these workflows right so yeah um, you know the other day I was on a call with another marketer who asked me to help them look at some different consultants. And, um, we, uh, he, he had four companies that he found. And so I've been on calls with all four to see what their process looks like.
0: You're really helping them out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, um, it, it's a paid engagement, so oh, okay, got, you, it, got you know, it. I was like, so, "Oh,
0: what a good guy!" <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's a paid engagement. <laughs> I'm a nice guy, but I'm not that nice. <laughs> right, right, okay, good. <laughs> um, but um, I said to him, "I said, you know, here's the difference between these three and this one. Mm-hmm. These three all do all the workflows and documentation, but this one, they do it in a way that makes it actionable." And, in my opinion, that's what you deliver to your CFO when you're saying, "What do we need to why are we why do we need this?" Well, yeah. here's why. This is all the action that comes from these workflows, right? Um, and oh, by the way, all that work, we could hire somebody in to do it, or we could use one of our current resources to do it. But unless they're fully trained on all these systems, it's going to take them a long time.
0: A long time. They may not right. be there long enough to right. learn enough to make those changes the right way. That's a
1: great point. And, yeah. and they'll slow the the engine, right? It's all yeah. about leads and all about opportunities. And they're going to slow that engine if uh, if you have to take somebody internally to do that. The other thing is, you know, I like the collaboration that a consulting firm uh, has um, amongst themselves. So if they're a real strong, talented group of people with really great experience across all kinds of different marketing technologies, mm-hmm. um, just that collaboration that goes on internally of that team, right, um, can be really helpful. And you don't get that if uh, your CMO is telling your administrator to do X or Y. You're right. getting sort of a one perspective one, a single approach,
0: right? You get the, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No question. Usually, uh, you, but not, not every consultant will push back on that, but I think that's important when you're shopping for them. It's the ones that will tell you how it is. I like to joke that, um, I, we tell our team like, Hey, we advise like family, which is, you nice. know, like you, if your brother or sister is doing something that's crazy, you, you, you love them. So you're going to tell them right. you're doing, you're crazy. Don't do this. <laughs> They may ignore you next Christmas, but like, you know that like, that's what you got to do. you got to tell them, like, stop doing this. It's not good for you.
1: Yeah. Um, so, and, Casey, I want to yeah, ask you a walk question. walk off a cliff. You know? Right, yeah. Casey, from what you've heard so far, am I crazy? No. no. <laughs> not yet. Well, but When we talk it's...
0: about football, we'll probably get into the crazy side, but yeah, no.
1: I have a feeling we will.
0: This makes sense. but <laughs> I think there's an unstated uh, challenge when you're justifying this whole process you, know, you kind of can take it for granted maybe because your system is set up the right way which is being able to tie it all to dollars being able to show that workflow show the process the automation the engine the funnel and be able to right. say look here's the sales revenue we did that right. what's your take on attribution because i think a lot of people they use it defensively and in crazy ways i hate it yeah
1: i if i could take you know, that hammer.
0: Thor's hammer, here I mean? you go. Here Thor's go. <laughs> hammer
1: and, and smash that. I've worked in uh, companies as large as Oracle, um, mid to larger size companies like JDA, um, you know, smaller growth companies like uh, where I'm at now. Um, and um, there's always this, Uh, chasm on who really influenced that lead who really got that to uh, be an opportunity and a sale and all those things and one of the reasons why um, my CEO uh, said to me "I I want you over marketing and sales is because for years he would hear me talk about the challenges between marketing and sales. And, and usually the CFO sits in the middle of that and, and is the one who's applying the pressure of really who gets the, who, what department gets credit for that revenue. Right. Right. So, um, I absolutely, I can't stand attribution. I, I hate the fact that marketers have to spend time on attribution because it's 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 one of those things where you're trying to prove your value but really if if the company is set up right we shouldn't be worrying about where somebody gets the credit yeah we should all win if we meet our revenue goals and we should all lose if we don't yeah right so it's funny How many times do you read about a company and they'll have, you know, their list of, um, things, the three or four things they, they believe in. Right.
0: Yeah, Like core values kind of thing,
1: core values. What's always in the core values, teamwork, teamwork, (laughs) Uh, you read about teamwork constantly in core values, but what does attribution and having to defend attribution do? That's not teamwork. That's defending the me versus the we, right? Yeah. Um, So I'm a huge believer in you win as a team, you lose as a team. The marketing team has the same number as the sales team, right? And the sales team has the same uh, accountability and responsibility uh, as the marketing team. Same with business development, same with customer success. It's, it doesn't, makes sense to fight over who gets credit. Now, the one thing that I think attribution needs to be used for is to determine what's working, what's not, right? what's the weight of things in terms of influence and all that, and engagement, you bet. All of that makes 100%. Um, 100% of that makes sense. It's the whole idea of using attribution to determine whether or not something is um, should be given credit uh, for if whether a department should be given credit for something right. or not, and the other thing um, that I think um, we we use a scoring method to determine when a lead goes over, right? Okay. And it and and at previous companies uh, we've built these different matrices. Um, and calculators to determine whether it was um, uh, behavioral activities that we were scoring yeah. uh, on a lead, firmographic data on a lead, um, whether you know the sales rep could fill out um, <clears throat> where they thought from an opportunity standpoint, right? Budget, authority, revenue, yeah, all yeah. of those different things. Even direction. though yeah. band, nobody believes van right? They all <laughs> lie. So. But, you know, where could you validate things? And then you would pass it once it hit a certain score. Yeah. But how many times does you, do you, does a marketing or a lead gen team get that prospect to a particular score? And the sales team goes, nope, I don't. The sales VP goes, nope, I don't think it's a lead. Right. Right? Right. Because they want the sure thing. Because they don't want to take accountability for it. Those are the things that I think where attribution plays a role in finger pointing. And one of the things that I, um, love about the CEO that I'm working for now is he's all about, that's the real benefit of having a CEO who understands the cost of the chasm between marketing and sales.
0: You say he's all about what he's all about everything.
1: Uh, he's all about um, solving the chasm between marketing and sales,
0: and maybe he did that by hiring you because you're you're both roles right now, right? You're correct leading marketing and sales. Does that is that weird or is that what bridges that gap
1: in your company? It's the reason he asked me to take that role. Got it. He had seen me t- and heard me talk about the challenges between marketing and sales, and now we've gone from and this is interesting when we bring in a new sales rep yeah. from, so one of our sales reps, we brought in from a very successful company, um, uh, about a $300 million uh, software firm. And he came to our company and um, the first thing he started doing was challenging the, the value of certain leads that he was getting. And then what he realized over time was that it was his role to turn that lead into an opportunity. Uh, It's not marketing's role to, it's marketing's role in my opinion, and and business development's role, to get a a reasonably qualified opportunity into a conversation. But it's the sales team, is where the talent lies in being able to describe and understand the value proposition as it relates to the company's challenges.
0: Right, 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 right. So it's not, it doesn't have to be sales ready by the time it gets to sales. I think that might be one of those myths that's out there. Well, this, this guy says they're not ready, you know, sub reject, or this person doesn't know how we could help them
1: yeah how many how many sales people how many sales leaders uh, or how many marketing leaders out there today have sales leaders um, who will say nope i I don't think this is ready but all your competitors are already out there on site developing relationships doing due diligence working on business cases and then when the deal gets lost then they turn to sales will point back to marketing and go, well, they didn't turn the lead over in time and, and it wasn't ready enough. Right. It's yeah. like, what? So, so for, in my mind being in sales for all the years that I was, um, at retech and Oracle and JDA, um, cause I wasn't always in marketing. Um, the talent and the skill of the sales reps are to help companies understand your differentiation and value Mm. and to develop those relationships. That's the skill, right? Develop
0: those relationships. That's the skill. Yeah. Right. There's a, there's a reason sales has a discovery call, you know, exactly. Let's, let's see (laughs) where we can help, you know, or sometimes what we'll have is, you know, someone comes to us and says, can you just redo this landing page and make it responsive and pretty and, you know, it doesn't, we brought it from Marquette and it doesn't work now in part odd. And, right. and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll clean up that HTML. But it's like, but is that really all you need help with? Let's let's have a conversation. I'll come to find out you got leads stuck in the lead sync queue. Right. you got these other things happening. <laughs> let's figure out what we need to do, but not do the world. But maybe let's start here and then go here, then here. But you're right. I mean, that's that yep. would be the job of sales to, to do that. But they got a conversation and that was like, they got the at bat. And marketing got a conversation to happen and to your point, a reasonably qualified person into that conversation.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I just think there's so much wasted time and energy um, as it relates to um, marketing, defending uh, a lead and sales, um, uh, defending whether or not it's, it's a true opportunity. In my opinion, it's the salesperson's role to help develop that or disqualify it. Um, and to your point, it's getting, it's getting them an at bat. Um, what I will say is that using the tools that we have, it's a lot harder as well for a sales rep to say, well, that's lead is not qualified and, and it shouldn't have been a, you know, should, we shouldn't have had a conversation with them. Um, all the data that we get now around these companies, both the dark funnel data and the, the activity data that, um, where they're raising their hand and identifying themselves to us. It's hard now for them to, um, defend whether or not, uh, they think, uh, you know, that, it, that it wasn't ready for a conversation. So right. um, I also think that, you know, and, and, over time, this rep has, he's closing deals left and right. And I think, you know, now he doesn't, when we send him an opportunity, a, a lead or a, a meeting, he's all over it because he's confident now that, you know, it's not a hundred percent of the time, but for the most part, if he's on the phone with someone, it's real. They're looking for something. And that's one of the things that understanding the dark funnel and understanding that data and making sure that you're feeding that model uh, so that it spits out these kind of, you know, higher qualified opportunities for conversation. I think the reps, too, tend to back off um, over time. But in the beginning, I struggled uh, with him because he was able in his previous years to push back on a. On a lead, unless you know there was already budgeted, requirements were set, there was a timeline. They had an executive sponsor. He was going to have conversation with the CEO. I mean, that's all great, but in in reality, that's not how they all fall.
0: Right, right. That, that's that's more the exception to the rule than anything. Um, agree. You know, short of oh, so technology helped with that you over both the departments can help with that. Any other recommendations? Cause it sounds like some of this is on the sales side where we got to make sure they want to step up and do their job, you know, to quote a a Patriots coach that you may know.
1: (laughs) Um, you mean Josh McDaniel? (laughs) (laughs) We won't go there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some education, right? Um, and and that's where marketing can really help itself is is to not only um, educate them on on all the great things that marketing's doing and delivering on behalf of them in the background, right? But um, you know, one of the things we try to do is um, support the reps on their territories and support them um, in ways where uh, maybe they haven't gotten support in the past, and one of the one of the things I really enjoy doing is um, taking data from sort of the dark funnel yep. and, and we have notifications set up in our system that if, um, whether it's a company or a contact, if they move up a certain level of points or if they move down a certain level of points, the rep gets a notification. God. And so they're seeing activity that's going on in the account that they've probably never seen before. Right? If they're searching on competitors, if they're searching certain key terms, um, you know, if um, we're seeing a a new level of activity on contacts and um, they're rising in predictive lead score or in fit or profile. So sending that to the reps helps them uh, feel like, you know, they're getting um, intelligence that they normally wouldn't get. So, um, and, and of course we run, we do the standard stuff, right? We, we run campaigns on their behalf and things like that. And I think most importantly is, um, when we can help them to understand, um, the competitive nature of an opportunity, right? So, you know, here's a lead, but also by the way, here's the uh, information around competitors that they've been, uh, searching on. Right. And so, some of that I think just gives them a little extra confidence and a little extra firepower in terms of um, where they should explore different topics in the conversation they're about to have.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and and I can see how you really are using tech. Now, a lot of people buy it and then never use it or never maximize right. it, um, but you're really putting this to work, and it is in this case helping you know bridge that that chasm, that attribution chasm. Um, between sales and marketing marketing and sales right. yeah. who are you how, how did you become this wizard <laughs> of sales and marketing and to be able to bridge these gaps and unite these teams and get everyone stop wasting your time on this you know, this you know justification game let's just get to work and make revenue like take me back like little alan days you know
1: yeah, right. you always
0: this way what <laughs> tell me about it
1: You know, it's funny, um, believe it or not. Um, I was a scrawny little skinniest kid in the class, even in high school. Um, you know, I had people that I had gone school with, um, that, um, or that were in my neighborhood who, um, you know, they developed, they filled out, they played football and baseball. And, you know, i I played golf, but, um, um, I had two older brothers who were always popular, tons of friends. Um, I was more of a like to be home kind of kid. Sure. Um, so I had a group of friends in the neighborhood that, you know, little Alan would go and we'd play football or we'd golf in the, you know, chip in the front yard or shoot hoops or whatever it was.
0: Um, like the (laughs) Sandlot.
1: Yeah. Right. You know, but, uh, but I had a cousin who he and I, until I was moved, my, my family moved from Denver to Philadelphia in high school. But until then, my cousin and I used to hang out on, on Friday and Saturday nights. And um, you had asked me uh, when we first spoke about, you know, what, what was it that made you think you'd be marketing and sales? And I think most people who knew me as a kid wouldn't think that I would be a marketing and sales kid. Um, Cause I, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I wasn't that overly social. Right. Um, and uh, uh, I ended up joining junior achievement. I don't know if you remember junior achievement. Yeah. Yeah. I joined junior achievement and my cousin went with me. Um,
0: what is I that like? When, Cause I, I've heard of it, but is it just like yeah. a club or uh a-
1: you know, it's sorry about that. I'm just plugging in my computer it's a um it's a national organization where um you know young kids up through twelfth grade essentially uh, participate in an after school uh, project of building a business
0: really? so you
1: yeah so you you know you go through a planning stage and you determine what product you're gonna make and then how you're gonna market it and how you're gonna sell it um, and so um, we went to a junior achievement, um, meeting at a high school that was our rival high school. So the reason I mentioned that is there's a funny story here that I'd like to share. Yeah. But, um, um, uh, we went to this junior achievement meeting and, um, we started having a conversation around Um, you know, what we would build and, you know, what we would, you know, what was sort of the planning piece. And I don't know, I found myself really engaged. I mean, I, I just loved it. And um, I ended up being voted the president of the company. Wow. And so here I was, um, I think we were in 10th grade. And, you know, I got voted to be president of this company. And to be honest with you, it was the first time ever where I saw myself outside of this scrawny kid who had two very athletic you know stud older brothers that everyone liked and um, so uh we ended up building these wind chimes, okay, and selling them, and I was engaged in the marketing and the sales side, and I just loved it, and that was what turned me. Uh, into this person who liked uh, being involved in um, organizations. So then, when I went to college, I st- started seeking out places where I could, um, you know, be part of an organization and part of a team um, of people um, where I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily have to want to be the cool kid. Do you know what I mean? To join the group. You, yeah. you had to have a cool factor, right? Yeah, In yeah. a lot of these social circles. And I didn't have that cool factor. I wasn't, you know, I just didn't. I was just this kind of, you know, a little more quiet, loved sports, um, loved watching sports on TV. And okay. so anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up uh, becoming um, president of a Jewish organization on campus at Pitt. Uh, and then I got, uh, asked by, uh, the head of the fraternity for, uh, Jewish organizations, um, by their senior executive. He flew out to Pittsburgh and said, I want to have dinner with you. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm this guy in college. I'm thinking, wow, this guy's coming to meet me. And, um, he saw the things that I had done, uh, with the uh, Jewish organization, um, and he said, I want you to be president of a fraternity here. We got kicked off campus years ago, and we want to start a new chapter. And would you lead it? And uh, I did that and eventually got asked to help the fraternity who was off campus and coming back on at UCLA. Wow. And so that's how I got involved in this whole idea of you know, marketing
0: yeah. and
1: selling um, what we were about. And 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 um I really enjoyed it. I you know, I found a passion in it. And um I sort of became this other person. I became this person who was very outgoing and social and um <clears throat> and then eventually I ended up um answering an ad for um on uh monster.com when the remember when monster.com first came out? I do they had I, Super Bowl ads.
0: I do, yeah.
1: Yeah. I answered an ad for JDA software. Okay. And they were looking for somebody with a certain level of skill set and I had it, but I had n- never sold software. So, uh to make a long story short, I went through like 3 hour interview that was supposed to be an hour and I thought, okay, I'm going to get this job. And then I followed up and did all the things you do and I wasn't getting a response. So I huh. called the head of HR and started talking with her and she said well the concern is is you've never sold software and I said will you tell the EVP to send me the deck that they used to sell software and I'll come in and present it and he liked that so <laughs> he brought me into this unbelievably beautiful boardroom you wow. know where the curtains are automated and so you know, and the, and the, you know, the screen automatically comes down. And back in those days, I hadn't really been exposed to that. Sure. And so I was pretty intimidated and, um, I started presenting and about 20 minutes in, he stopped me and he said, you know what? I've heard enough. He says, I've got to take a call from Australia. And, um, and so David, who's the VP of over sales for the company, he's going to stay with you and chat with you for a few minutes. And I thought, I'm done. You know, that's an excuse. He's leaving
0: yeah, Australia.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> "Come on." And um lo and behold, when he left, the VP said, "Holy cow you you presented better than our reps present." <laughs> So he came back in after his call, which was legitimate. We started chatting and he looked at me and he said, okay, you're, you're telling me a lot of things, but you're not telling me what you want. He said, in my opinion, you need to slam your hand on the table and tell me what you want. Of course I slammed my hand on the table and told him I wanted the job. And he said, you're hired, you know, and that was what, got me introduced to software and sales. And I went on to spend many, many years in sales. And it wasn't until I was at Oracle that the general manager over Oracle Retail came to me and said, I I have a position that I want you to consider. And it's in product. And I was like, okay. And he said, I want you to go around um, to all of all of the territories, right? Asia, yep. Pac, Europe. And I want you to help the sales teams with how to build strategic plans when selling into large firms. Wow. And um, so as I was putting that together, I got introduced to a company in Austin, Texas that um, was uh, all about sort of what we know now is MarTech, right? And, you know, predictive lead score, or or lead scoring and all of that, and it was early stage. And there was a fellow there who was the founder of the company, and he and I just hit it off. And for months and months on end, I was talking to him um, about this idea that I wanted to take part of what he was telling Uh, me about and part of what I was bringing to the table uh, in helping uh, train these sales organizations um, around, you know, being strategic with, um, you know, opening sales cycles. Yeah. And eventually it all morphed together. And I came up with this entire uh, program and process. I presented it to the general manager of Oracle Retail and he said, I want you to implement it. So we started to implement it. Wow. And we started to get some great results. And then um, the CEO of a company uh, in Arizona, who used to be uh, what used to be a part of what Oracle Retail ultimately came became.
0: Yep.
1: And he came to me, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm hearing that you created some program. Would you mind sharing it with me? So I met him for a cocktail here in Minneapolis. And he said, look, I'm, I just became the CEO of a company. Here's the challenges we're having, etc. I'd like you to come and be our chief marketing officer. Wow. And so uh, I ended up leaving Oracle Retail and went to be uh, the chief marketing officer and eventually ended up taking over sales um, uh, as well. But that's, how I real, that's when I realized this is what I love. And so even though I have the sales title in my role today, my passion is all on the marketing side. Um, and, um, I'm transparent with that, with my boss. Um, and he's, he's an amazing sales strategist. So, um, a little yin and yang there works really well. Um, but I have a really supportive CEO, um, from the marketing side and, um, you know, part of that is results driven, right? He's seeing results, sure. Yeah. but um, I would say I'm lucky in that way. Cause I know a lot of marketers who aren't. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm fortunate that way.
0: You know, when I think back to all these different times, the current CEO, the, um, the organization leader back in college, even the other kids, junior achievement, you know, just getting a little bit of that nudge saying, yeah. 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 We like what you're doing. Please take over this thing. You know, those are just really those powerful experiences that kind of, it's almost like the world just kind of cluing you into, Hey, that feels good. Right. Yeah, You should do more of that. And you're like,
1: I like this. I I never even considered
0: doing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was, I was the kid who was um, athletic, but never really great. Right. I wasn't the star of the team. Um, you know, I was good enough to maybe start on the team and bat like fifth, you know, so, but I was never, you know, the guy, um, my brothers were. Right. And so it and was- that can make it
0: hard too, right? Because you're in yeah. this two giant shadows. You're like, what exactly. Do, how do I, I'm not going to match them on the field right now. Like, right. what do
1: I do? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was a self-confidence thing too, right? You yeah. get a lot of confidence, you know, out of seeing yourself um, in something that you're passionate about. And, um, you know, I think marketers today in general, um, there's a whole level new level of confidence. Um, I'm part of the CMO club and, you know, even at the dinners that we have, um, you know, uh, once a quarter or so, there is this real sense of, um, uh, confidence and, you know, sort of the confidence in the ability to get things done. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think the biggest challenge we have as marketers is there's still the myth of, oh, well you're marketing, you're, you're about brand and color and logo. How difficult can that be? Right.
0: Redesign the website. Yeah, Right. right. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so even at these meetings, you know, and, and, you know, different places where you meet marketers, I think we all struggle with, um, you know, the legacy of what marketing was. Yeah. And, um, you know, <clears throat> we're empowered now because, you know, we're, we're important to the firm. I, I, I actually uh, was at a, a CMO function where the CMO of Salesforce.com spoke. Yeah. And by the way, she was an amazing speaker. She was very transparent very seemed very approachable, right? And she said that you know that uh this CEO of Salesforce.com has basically marketing in the middle, right? Yeah. Of everything they do. And um to me that that is the shift that a lot of CEOs need to make. And um more and more of the companies that I do consulting with, more and more when they learn about what is the power of what marketing can actually do to drive revenue, right. then they, they they're on board. So um, one of the customers I work with is a distributor and they've basically gone from marketing being the group that um, does logos and signage and helps set up events and, um, you know, has a corporate website to, they're all about driving revenue. Yeah. and he's made investments in these tools to get to change marketing and change the dynamic and he'll end up taking his firm um, to a whole nother level yeah because he sees an opportunity that other CEOs he knows aren't doing this right. so he's he sees it as a different way doing that
0: they're probably still exactly. squabbling about sales and marketing
1: exactly so it's pretty exciting I think marketing's got this, you know, we're still climbing the mountain, so to speak, right. in my opinion, but more and more we're we becoming empowered. And I, uh, you know, you, you go to some of these events and, and you, you hear from other CMOs in the industry who are just so impressive, you know, yeah. and it's, it's just amazing to see because, you know, they're still dealing with challenges that oh, you yeah. and I both know are exist out there. I, uh, the former CMO of Home Depot um, told a story a couple weeks ago about um, you know how she had to find her way to earning credibility mm. um, in the organization. and um, you know it was the same thing. marketing looked was looked at as an expense, not as a value revenue uh, driving uh, department. And, right. you know, she changed that, which is amazing. But she talked about some of those experiences.
0: That's cool. And she had to fight for it. And I think, you know, even though there's a downside of the marketing world is you got to fight for that. That if you do, it just makes your, your marketing stronger, your copy stronger, everything stronger because you had that struggle in there. No one's going to just hand you that budget. You got to prove it. You got to justify it. The question I have for you, because I, I actually see you leading the the charge here, you know, you doing what you do. Showing this is the better way of doing it and getting the results and getting the buy-in from your CEO, like the more people that do that, the, the rest of the marketing world can go, oh, okay, I need to catch up. This is where, where we're going. So if you more hypothetical, were to get in a time machine and yeah. go back to the very beginning of your, say, your career, just getting out of school or, or around that time frame, what would you advise yourself? What would you tell yourself, knowing all the things you've experienced?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think I would tell myself to not be afraid Mm. to innovate, right? To not be afraid to think outside the box and do things differently. Um, I think when I first started out, uh, especially coming from sales, um, you know, I tried to think like a traditional marketer because I thought that's what was expected of me. Right. Um, and it and it wasn't until I started to gain confidence from the gentleman who uh, uh, played a role in mentoring uh, the program that eventually has become you know my philosophy um, was that you know not to be. I would have said to myself back then. Don't focus on what you think people want you to be. Do what you feel is going to be innovative to move the needle forward. And it wasn't until that I got to that point. Um, and it took some time. I mean, I would say that the program took a good almost two years to develop, right? Um, right. It was a combination of um, me trying to make sure that I was. Still fitting into that traditional marketing expectation. Right. um, And trying to balance that with, I have all these great ideas about how we can change the funnel. Um, And I probably wasted time Mm -hmm. trying to uh, be a traditional marketer instead of leaning on my experience. You know? I think my experience in sales has turned out to be invaluable.
0: Oh, um, for sure, and, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and it it helps me to better understand and shape um when we're having conversations about the output of, you know, the model or we're having conversations around um content and campaigns um Sales I think doing my, their
0: job, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think my team would say that, um, you know, things that are normally comfortable for content marketing, I I'm, I tend to make it uncomfortable, right? My my head of product marketing, uh, she and I, um, we, we even had this comment yesterday, um, you know, um, she asked me to go ahead and write a certain piece, and she said, you know, because... I'm going to write it in a way that's going to be, um, you know, um, more socially acceptable, so to speak. <laughs> you know, sure. it was. It, I tend to be a little more aggressive. I tend to um, uh, want to be more upfront with our differentiation and our messaging, and um, that comes from the sales side. Yeah. Right because yep. I'm a big believer in you, you only get one chance. Yep. Right? And and I think a lot of times product marketers um do a great job at you know putting together an entire process of content and execution and all of those things. Um, and we were talking about a campaign that would have you know sort of uh three uh steps and 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 a first and a last email associated with it. And you know, the, the, the balance that we have and it's good is, um, you know, I believe that you're going to get one shot. Yeah. Nobody's going to read email one, two, three, and four and wait for it. It's right. In my belief, it's not going to happen. They're going to move on to their day. So, so whatever we put in front of them, better hit immediately.
0: Yeah. No need um, to wait for third email for your best email. Right, look, right. they may unsubscribe <laughs> after your first email, even exactly. if it is. Your best. So best yeah. foot forward, you, you know, yep. I think you've taken your own advice. You're not afraid to innovate, right? You're saying, look, I gotta, I gotta be best in show at the very beginning. One impression. What am I going to make? What's it going to be? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, so <clears throat> the, the balance for me is, um, <clears throat> My personality is to just want to hit it head on. Yeah, and um, what's good is I have people around me who um, uh, also believe in a process. And so, um, you know, one of the one of the challenges that um, I tell people when I'm, you know, at some of these different marketing functions is is my challenge is always, you know, how do you how is your team made up? right? Um, because, you know, there's always this balance between having people who, um, are thorough and believe in process, um, versus just having a bunch of people who just want to throw one dart and have it stick. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, um, so I have a I think an aggressive personality uh, when it comes to to marketing, and so I have some folks on my team who um, are willing to push back yeah. and say, "Hey, you know, I think this is the better approach." And so, uh, but I'm always interested to hear how other people um, have built the personalities on their team. Um, you know, the other thing is um, I have a person on my team who is all about data governance. Mm. And I'm a I'm a big defender of data governance. I believe the data has to be so that's why the data that goes into our CRM is only validated data. Um mm-hmm, I, I yeah. use Pardot mm-hmm. as sort of the swimming pool of no, uh, noisy data. Sure. So but um um
0: it's important data in data out. Right. I mean, no we,
1: question, you know, but she, you know, having that person on the team has made it, yeah. you know, it helps me to make sure that when I'm presenting results to our CEO or our board or investors that we could easily go in and, and run that report in real time and know that the data is, it's a hundred percent validated. It's there. It's right. Um, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about was just the whole: how many emails do marketers get about um, companies wanting to validate um, or, or bring you new customers? Yeah, and um, junk
0: data. <laughs>
1: yeah, no doubt. And <clears throat> I really wish there was a company out there who would um, dedicate themselves to, you know, sort of one one source of the truth. Um, we look at different platforms of data uh, just to compare on yeah. a constant basis. We're always testing different tools to see who's got the best data um, because we don't want bad data going into that, that database that we have that we use CRM as sort of our no, It sounds like a protected garden. Yeah. Well, on. it, it kind of is right. Cause we're feeding, we're feeding all of our other systems from, from, from that data, but um, you know, I, I get the same emails all the time, um, and uh, it would be nice if somebody would become the true source of uh, validated data. You know, there's a lot of companies yeah. in different industries and they have product. Uh, data yeah. and product information, sure. and um you know they get it from manufacturers. They get it directly from the sources. And we don't have that. the, the most um, uh, you know most companies get their data from like b and b sources and things like that, right. And for us, we class we have to classify our industries differently uh, than what the data is because in one, we can take one company and it'll be classified as an, in this industry in one tool. And then we'll look at another tool and it will be classified as a totally different industry in another. Right. So, um, if anybody out there who's listening has found an incredible data source, um, that actually classifies companies, um, in the industries that they work in, versus it, you know, being somebody an administrator who fills out the DNB B form. Let me know.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot you a note. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Well, yeah. You know, th- this is this has been really cool. Where can people connect with you? You want to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn? What are the different places to go?
1: Yeah, you know, LinkedIn's a great spot. Um, uh, my, you can find me at Alan Littman um agile frameworks on linkedin um you can you'll also find me on twitter and um um i'll give you my email address it's a litman a l i t t m a n at agile frameworks agileframework dot there it is and um you're
0: brave man uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope people reach out because like, uh, bring love it on, people. Marketing conversation, and Casey, thank you for uh, for hosting me today. I really enjoyed the conversation, even though you're a Patriots fan.
0: Even though I'm a Patriots <laughs> fan, well, you know, have you looked at the clock? Time has just sort of morphed yep. by, and um, and yeah, here we thought we were going to talk about football the whole time. We just, I know it's much. We just chatted marketing strategy and and all these things so yeah thank you for being on here and i I learned a bunch from you it's great conversation
1: i enjoyed it a lot and i hope we can uh continue to do this again in the future and i look forward to uh to seeing your next set of guests too i'm excited to uh,
0: to talk about football so we'll have to have you back yeah talk more about how things are going how einstein's progressing and yeah what other things we want to smash and then we'll just we'll just hack it up and talk about how the Patriots are doing well. And, or, or I'll, I'll pull Bill Belichick and just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah I yeah. should
1: have done that today. That would have been to, a, looking
0: forward our, to next week on to next right, week. Right. <laughs> exactly. We next week. Oh, man. Well, for everyone listening, if you learn something and I know you did, cause I literally have two pages of notes over here. Um, share this with someone be a thought leader to one two three people just some of the, maybe your coworkers or some of your friends um, get this in their in their hands whether they're in some marketing they're in sales help bridge that gap cross that chasm between marketing and sales let's all get on the same page and work for the same goal and this is this is a great resource so alan thanks you again for for being on here and just teaching us all
1: that sounds great i had fun doing it and casey we'll talk soon
0: you got it man Hey, for everyone listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.